0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is BELIEVE. Hello and welcome to the BELIEVE and Vanderbilt football podcast on the BELIEVE Podcast Network, brought to you by betonline.ag. In the Music City, I'm your host, Matt Perkins, and I'm joined, as always, by former Vanderbilt offensive lineman, Ryan Seymour. On today's show, Ryan and I sit down with Chris Lee, publisher of VandySports.com, and Bruno Reagan, former Commodore offensive lineman. The four of us sit down to talk about the state of the depth chart before the Tennessee game, the latest in the search for a new head coach for the program, and some interesting stories from the guys' time at Vanderbilt. But before we get started, we can't forget to... Believe in Vanderbilt Football is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The season is in full swing, and while you may not be at the game this season, you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. So no matter who your team is, from game spreads to point totals, team player and coaching props, BetOnline has you covered. Plus, there's always the online casino. It never closes. So head on over to BetOnline.ag and sign up today. That's BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, guys, welcome back to the Believe in Vanderbilt football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, Ryan and I have the pleasure tonight of being joined by not one, but two returning guests, Chris Lee from VandySports.com and Bruno Reagan, friend of the show and now contributor over at VandySports.com. Guys, thanks so much for taking a little bit of time out of your day to chat with us about everything going on with the Commodores.
1: What up, guys? Good to be back. I love this podcast it's always fun to chop it up with uh chop it up with people who kind of you know understand the understand the the ins and outs more like especially with a guy like ryan who was kind of like a mentor to me so it makes it a little more comfortable than talking to a bunch of old dudes all the time but
2: (laughs) who are you referring to
1: to it was a little jab right just a little jab (laughs) because you're not that old either you look good
2: yeah this coaching search is aging me but anyway
1: i know (laughs)
0: Oh, I think you're not the only one that it's aging. I think it's aging most Vanderbilt fans out there. Ryan will be here with us in a couple minutes. He is uh, getting a golf cart delivered right now to his home, and uh, that has been that's tying him up right now. So uh, things that we uh, you know we mere mortals will never understand. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, I think they refer
2: to those as first world problems.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Before we talk about the coaching search, I want to really talk really quickly about the game this weekend, though. We're supposed to play Tennessee. There's 45 scholarship players, maybe scheduled <laughs> to play. I saw the depth chart and I just burst out laughing uh, because I, I just I mean, there's no, you know, Deo's gone now, too. There's more opt outs. There's more covid. There's more everything. Chris, in your time covering Vanderbilt, have you ever seen anything as ridiculous as the depth chart that was released uh, on Tuesday?
2: Well, I would never go there. Uh, But in terms of depth charts, that was up there, right? Because you've got Nate Clifton with no backup. You've got corners and safeties playing linebacker. And maybe that's semantics. Probably going to start in a nickel anyway. That's what a lot of teams do. Uh, You've got walk-ons backing up at safety, which I guess that's not unusual. But you look at it and you're going, my goodness, they list five defensive linemen. Uh, And that's really tough to play. A game against an SEC team. And I know Tennessee is not very good, but Tennessee's got some horses on that offensive line, guys. And the way Tennessee ran the ball against Vandy a year ago, I think they can do that again. So I I don't know. I think it is interesting. I think they are down the mid 40s in scholarship players. And, um, you know, kids this time of year are playing a little bit banged up. And I wonder. How much that happens Saturday.
1: Man, and real quick, so we're talking about like most of the time. I know Matt Matt's a little caught up right now, but real quick on this whole Tennessee thing. Like we see the depth chart, and most of our lacking in the depth chart is big guys, right? And what is Tennessee? What's the one thing Tennessee does well of this whole thing? They have this quarterback, they have their own quarterback controversy. And of course, when it comes to Vanderbilt Week, we have a a severe lackage of big guys. So we're going to probably go have to go out in a dime package, which is basically one step above nickel and nickel, you know, that's where you, that's where the team spreads out the field more. So you want a little guy who can cover, you know, like a linebacker defensive back hybrid, we're going to have to naturally play out of the dime. And that happened when I was there and we had still 80 to 90 guys on the team and West Tennessee good at, they're good at running the football. So this is going to, it's going to be a huge matchup issue just because of gone into the game i'm sure that's something they know and we're gonna see them pound the rock i know that's exactly what they're gonna do They have some talented backs their offensive line plays really well i know they there were some clips that were some some problems with the with the o-line but i mean they still play well so if there's any way they win this game it's stopping the run
0: yeah, and you know, I, I saw that Drew Birchmeyer is now back on the defensive line because of the need for bodies down there. I mean that you know, kudos to him. Kudos for him to absolutely being a team first guy for the whole season. Uh kudos for Dre Mintz for really stepping up. I know that uh I, you know, I know that I know the coaches had mentioned him in some of the press conferences this week as as a guy who's really been leading from the front. Um, so good for him. But uh a, some tragic news though that happened uh, with the team this week was uh the passing of Uh, DeRicky Wright's mother, which just happened sort of out of the blue. And she was a single mom who was raising four kids, and DeRicky is the oldest. And now he has three young sisters who don't have anyone left at home. And it's just a tragic, tragic situation.
2: Yeah, and I'll give hats off to the community uh, around Vanderbilt because you've got some parents of players who have stepped up to raise money. I think some fans have chipped in. Uh, I think that Derek Mason is going to end up, from what I'm hearing, doing a lot, too. Uh, Derek's a good-hearted guy. Uh, That's just devastating to lose a family member like that, especially um, especially when you're in college and a college freshman in the middle of this crazy year. But I, I think these things are always terrible, but you see some good in people that I think is bubbling to the front now.
0: Yeah, it it, it is. And it's, you know, it's nice to see the community rallying behind him. And, you know, obviously, it's such a sad and tragic situation. But, you know, uh, I'm sure that hopefully down the road, some good can can come of this. It does not surprise me at all that Derek Mason would sort of uh, be be the guy who would step up and, you know, become part of it and really, you know, uh still have the back of his players, even if he's not the head coach there anymore. And so, you know, obviously if you guys can help out, uh check out uh, there's I believe a GoFundMe Now page. Uh, for it on our show's instagram i you know i I sent an instagram story out about it how to how to access it um you can find it pretty much anywhere if you follow program online you'll be able to find a place that you can donate to help out so if you're able to please uh consider doing so Uh, and uh there's no real natural transition so we're gonna switch gears and welcome in ryan ryan good to see you buddy uh hey
3: guys good afternoon how how you doing Good, man. Good. Uh, just enjoying this lovely Thursday, ready for the weekend.
0: All right. Well, uh, Ryan, before we get in and talk about the coaching search, we were talking about the Tennessee game here for a minute. Do you have any thoughts on what we're on this weekend, uh, whether it's depth chart-wise or just mentality heading into this with so few guys?
3: Uh, yeah, those are great questions. I think, uh, obviously, it's going to be interesting with the, uh, with the limited number of players that we have going into this week. Um, I'm interested to see how the game is going to unfold. You know, obviously this is a rivalry week. Guys are going to be <clears throat> tying their shoelaces a little bit tighter. I guess you could say, uh, buttoning up, uh, and, and going to be ready to go for this game no matter what. So I, I think the energy is going to be there. I think the passion is going to be there. And I also think it's going to be fun for some of these guys. Obviously we looked at some of the DBs coming down the linebacker and guys having to move around a little bit. I mean, honestly, I bet these guys are going to be enjoying it. I mean, I think it'd be fun. I mean, to kind of move positions, um, you know, I don't know. If I was an offensive lineman and I got moved to a different position, like I would take that as like a compliment, right? Like if I was like a DB or something, that got moved to a linebacker or a, a D lineman that got bumped out to a up. you know, I don't know. I think that'd be a, a pretty cool experience. Um, so I think the guys are going to enjoy the game. I think they're definitely going to be really, really excited. To go out there uh, with new leadership, you know, maybe perhaps the uh, the locker room has completely changed, right? Maybe Derek Mason, um, with him being gone, is going to bring new life to these guys. Who, who knows? So I think I think everyone's really really excited to see. I guess this new team. I guess you could say whether that's only with forty eight guys under a new interim head coach or not. Um, it's Tennessee week. I think I think the guys are going to step up.
0: I like your positive attitude, Ryan. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate uh,
1: it.
3: Yes.
0: We haven't all, seen a lot of
1: that Since the last time i talked to you guys, let me tell you, it's all been downhill. And it was
3: already downhill.
1: <laughs> I, it's just, this is not being good.
3: I came in oh. with, you know, I came in with a positive attitude, but all right. We'll it's because right you're making you. big money moves. <laughs> you're the only one that, <laughs> you're just the positive guy. <laughs> I'm usually not. I'm usually not. But my prayers, my prayers have been answered. So honestly, I am just on top of uh, on top of the world these past uh, this past week with with uh, obviously so much to be excited about, right? Yeah.
1: I mean that you would think so, but as as the search draws <laughs> on and on and on for Vanderbilt, I get a little more nervous, nervous, nervous. So
3: Well, yeah. Well, I guess we'll probably dive in that a little bit. I've been seeing let, all let, the, uh, let's uh, jump the into it tats. right now.
0: Let's just jump into it right now. I mean Uh, Ryan, we've talked with a couple guys in the last few shows about the coaching search. You know what sort of you're looking for in a head coach, and we've seen all sorts of names thrown out there. So, uh, Ryan, I guess you know one of the things that um I asked our guest last week, uh, Jake Bernstein, was what what is sort of like the one quality that you are looking for in a head coach who does come in? What do you think is like the the one? You know uh, the one or two like real like personal qualities that you think will make for a successful head coach at Vanderbilt.
3: That's uh, that's that's a great question. As far as you know, personal qualities. Obviously, I think we're to be looking for. Uh, I don't want to say a younger guy because I don't want to be like <laughs> uh, that that come off wrong. But I, I think. I, I would like to see perhaps a coach who has done really, really well in perhaps a smaller conference. I'm not looking for kind of a franchise guy who's been around the block a million times that everyone, you know, everyone knows his name, kind of guy I'm looking for that guy that um, has, has maybe brought a lot of its success to a, maybe a smaller program. And is just looking for that next step on a bigger platform. Um, and, and if it, uh, and if people are worried about this next coach just being a stepping stool for him, uh, I don't really think there's any way around that. Um, and I'm sure you could make an argument against that, but I really don't think that you'll ever not be able to argue that Vanderbilt is going to be a stepping stool for, for perhaps one of these coaches. I mean, but I, I absolutely would love to see a guy, uh, perhaps for maybe a smaller conference or a smaller team coming here who's already had proven success. I'm trying to steer clear of maybe uh, maybe some of the older heads or maybe some of the already proven guys so and, no and will must uh, champ
0: for you is really what you're saying.
3: That's what I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah, I'm not trying to get the hand me downs of these other other big big schools and guys who are just making their rounds, um, you know, from big squad team to team. I want this. I want. I want this to be it for them. You know, obviously everyone knows if you come into Vandy, it could either be a career builder or it could be a career destroyer. So I want this guy coming in to have to feel like this is it for me. You know, there is no. There is not nothing else. I'm either gonna move. I'm either gonna move forward in this position, or I'm gonna move back. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, is if you get one of these older guys who has already had proven success, if he comes here and doesn't do well, he could always say, "Well, look what I did at these other schools. It's Vandy. What could you have expected?" Right? Unlike bringing in maybe a, a younger guy who is in maybe a smaller conference. That he, his mentality should be, I got to come into Vanderbilt. This is my chance. Like I'm either going to make it and I'm going to maybe perhaps five years from now, get a James Franklin deal, or I'm going to be bumped right back to my conference USA or Sunbelt kind of thing. So that's kind of what I'm looking for, I guess, as we start to shop around for potential head coaches.
0: Bruno, I want to ask you the same thing. What, what is sort of one or two qualities that you
1: think are essential in a new head coach for the Commodores? Man, for Vanderbilt, I don't. I don't know. Ryan was pretty safe, and like, I don't want to come. Up, I want a young guy who doesn't know any better. I want a young guy who's not going <laughs> to second guess it. I don't. I prefer that. I like that. Listen, because I, I talk. I, I have the most random like friend sources whatever you want to call it for some 24 year old alumni because i like i had a conversation with somebody who's really close to one of these he's he's done really well outside the power five but at a good school you know great bowl record i mean they've gone bowling a lot and a lot and a lot and when he when he has you know there's not too much interest with this guy not enough to report for the vanderbilt job but when like you know inquired about it he's just like you know oh you know you know i kind of done everything like it it just it wasn't like what you were saying right someone who's going to come in here and kind of be ignorant to the normal vanderbilt way i want someone who is just totally not in over his head but he rises to meet the expectation that we set because we i feel like we said a different thing than what they got going on in uh you know on the inside because you were there, Ryan, you won. I almost, I almost got a few winning seasons, but you, you were nine and four, man. So, I think you're a little justified in saying like maybe you're not gonna go out and say, "Oh, I need younger or something." But I would like somebody who's on the rise, you know, someone who does have mm-hmm. obviously proven success, but someone who's hungry. And if the, the stepping stool thing is a concern, but that's a good problem to have. I feel like if someone's winning enough to get a job, agreed.
0: All right, Chris. Well, you've been around the team longer than any of us have, and I- I'm going to ask you the same question, and then I'm going to ask you sort of who you think are, or at least that you could report on, as you think are the front runners at this point, or some names you think really should be in the
2: mix. Okay, I'm going to start out by saying I was the guy who was on the Jamie Chadwell train uh, out there, uh, kind of on an island. There was a lot of interest in him, and look, here's how this goes. Okay people hear things that are a couple of days behind and I've been doing radio shows and people saying, well, what about Chadwell? you think he's a leader? Um, I believe he was very interested in that job. The more I dug in, I think there'd been some contact, but Vanderbilt was apparently not interested in him. So let's, let's kind of put that one to rest um, unless something crazy happens. So I would say at this point, the two guys I'm watching are Clark Lee at Notre Dame, the defensive coordinator who played at Vanderbilt was a walk on, I shouldn't say two names, but Lance Leipold at Buffalo. One is interesting to me also. Uh, yes, I see you clapping I your hands there, man. I love Lance Leipold. This is a dude who has won everywhere
0: he's gone. He was the best coach in Division Three. He completely ended the Mount Union reign, like dynasty there at uh, was it UW Oshkosh, I think. It was one of the UW schools. Um, UW, yeah. Yeah, before he went to Buffalo, he's turned Buffalo into a winner, and and that program was nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. They were the dregs of the Mac for decades. As someone who grew up in western New York, I can tell you firsthand that program was pathetic, and he has actually turned that program into a winner. Lance Leopold is a guy I can completely get behind. Sorry to interrupt, Chris. I just – I love Lance Leopold.
2: (laughs) You never know, right? Because I remember in 2013, 2014, is that search, I guess, spanned into a couple of years, everybody thought Gus Malzon was the dude, right? And he basically had the job and then I think had second thoughts and turned it down. And then went to James Franklin, we're all going, who the heck is this guy, right? I think that it's really hard to tell on the front end who's going to work and who's going to not. And I don't like sort of tying myself into a mold, like offense or defense or whatever. I look for a CEO type. And that, to me, that's the difference between James Franklin and Derek Mason is one was and one wasn't. And I think there's maybe a lot of guys who can fit. We all sit out there and we watch records and we we look from a distance, but it's really hard to know until you were in the room and the committee talking to people and digging up things and finding stuff that we can't know Uh, Maybe who fits and who doesn't, which maybe begs some questions on Derek Mason and his hire, because right off the bat, that guy was not a CEO. And I think if you were following the program, uh, Ryan, you probably know this better than anybody. Uh, It just wasn't that right away. But I don't know. To me, that's what I look at is who fits that type. Um, You know, I think exciting the fan base and everything is great, too, if you can have it with it. I'm not as big on a dynamic personality. I think boring can be underrated with the right guy. But those are my thoughts Did you find a guy who can run the program from the top down.
0: Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't disagree. I think that CEO mentality is really something that we we haven't seen with Derek Mason. Derek Mason, obviously a very personable man, someone who is, uh, who seems to care very much about his players, but just didn't see the results on the field. One name that I was hoping would come up in this was Billy Napier. I don't know if they had any conversations or contacts with Billy Napier, he's a guy that's really impressed me at Louisiana, uh, has really built that program up a lot, and seems to be someone who has a lot of energy. But the Jamie Chadwell name obviously is, to me, a very interesting one. I have heard good things about him. I've spoken with people who have sources in, in the program. Ryan and I were on last week on Believe in Dogs and Israel Troop. One of the hosts uh, of that show is, is, is very close with the tight ends coach down there at Coastal Carolina who just absolutely raves about him. But I would worry about someone like, like him is a flash in the pan. But I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if he has enough of a record. Clark Lee, on the other hand, I mean, I'll be dead honest with you guys. I'd never even heard. I'm pretty tapped into a lot of college football. I had not even heard that name before a few weeks ago. So, say when
1: I played against him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that is a, you know, uh, that was surprising to me. Um Chris, can you give us a little bit more of a background on on Clark and what do you and, and what you know about him both as I mean obviously we know he was a walk on fullback but you know he's now a defensive coach which you don't see a ton of offensive guys become defensive coaches so you know do you know what his sort of trajectory has been and what what would make him fit in the program other than being an alumnus?
2: Well, let's go back, okay. Clark Lee started his college career as a baseball player at Birmingham Southern. Uh, And I think that might've been when they dropped, I don't remember if they dropped the program or dropped down to D1. He transferred to Belmont. I think had a baseball scholarship there. Then quit Belmont baseball and walked on to Vanderbilt and became a factor. He was a fullback who got maybe an occasional touch or certainly was a blocking back for them. And so he's a kid who worked his way from the ground up. His father is a surgeon here locally. I think they come from a little bit of money. And I knew his dad a little bit, just a first class family. And then you look at his trajectory from there. I think he's been at, at UCLA. Uh, gosh, I, I don't have all the stops in front of me. Syracuse, for sure, he was the D.C. there and then got the Notre Dame job. But he's up for the Broyles Award. He's very well regarded in South Bend. I think that's one that Notre Dame doesn't want to lose. He's got a defense that – and Ryan and I talked about this on a podcast. Uh, you know, he didn't have the most talented guys, but they were tough to play against, and – they are up there in the national rankings. So one thing at Vanderbilt that's always going to be important is they're going to look at familiarity and those sorts of things. And so with that, who's more familiar with how the program is run at Vanderbilt, the demands, than a guy who's been a student athlete before? And that's Clark Lee. And I think that's a lot of the appeal.
3: I like uh, I, I like that Um I haven't done my research on Clark Lee as much as I have, but just, just listening a little bit more about his story. And obviously, as I sit here and listen to you talk, Chris, and um, and hearing about his story, universities that uh, are somewhat similar as well. I mean, uh, you look at Notre Dame and Vanderbilt, obviously, both of these schools are very highly Uh, sought after from an education standpoint they're both universities that you know have a much higher I guess set of standards when you come to when it comes to the student-athlete as far as admissions so that's another big factor I was kind of thinking about that as you were talking Chris obviously a former athlete at Vanderbilt um, is part of a university right now that probably has a lot of the same struggles that Vanderbilt has with Um, so I think that could be just from that standpoint alone could possibly be a good fit Um, Just already understanding the type of type of hurdles that are going to be that are going to come along with this uh, with this opportunity.
0: One thing that I will say is I've been impressed, at least from what I've seen from the outside with Chancellor Deermeyer. He seems like he actually gives a crap, which is a welcome change. Um, Yeah, we've seen
3: a few things. I mean, we've seen a few things from just on Twitter this week about, uh, you know, talking about whoever the next head coach is, obviously letting them. very hands-on with the decision making as far as what sort of facilities are going to be uh you know what the facility plans look like uh where the budget you know where uh where the budget is going to come into play um but you're right i think we've seen some really really good things at least in the media so far yeah um, let's just hope
0: let's just hope that's not lip service
3: that's whatever that's the feedback i've been getting in the in the group chat i mean you know they're saying all the right things it's just to be a matter of you know, are they going to actually, uh, come to play? Right. I mean, we've all been promised phase one of this, you know, of the McGugan center upgrade, but Mason was there seven years. He even kind of noted that towards the end of his tenure there was that, Hey, I've been here seven years. You know, I was told when I came in, we were going to have facility upgrades or still out there, you know, obviously you just got to be happy with what you have. That was kind of like some of his comments that he was making there towards the end of the season. But, um, we hope that it's not lip service to to answer your point. That's what we, that's what we hope they're saying the right things doing. uh, You know, that's, that's another.
0: Yeah. Bruno, what do you think in terms of facility upgrades are the thing that is most desperate for them to take care of right off the bat?
1: Uh, Probably in football, the weight room, they need to do something. I saw some suggestions on, because they send out emails to the alumni. That's how I know they don't have anything. They're, either they're either they're just using the alumni to shut the alumni up who will constantly want to be involved and they're sending out these emails to do it and they have this plan or they don't have this plan because they send out these like things and like we want your feedback and honestly i hardly i hardly i don't even respond because i've heard they've had this plan in for a while so i'm like why would i even say but probably the weight room and the problem with the weight room is is either you have to move it entirely because the room they're in is too small and it's covered by the practice fields it's covered by Jess neely on the other side and it's covered by i think not just trace on this so it's not like you can just expand it if there's anything you have to do it's probably knock out the roof and go up a story if you can i don't know but that's the only way because you can only work out like i don't even was this a problem with you guys ryan because we could only work out like a third or half the team so we're most yeah we had uh
3: Multiple groups throughout the day. Sometimes they split it offense, defense. Sometimes they split it. Yeah, sometimes it goes group. like
1: to four. Sometimes we have up to like four different lift groups. And that's just not, and sometimes that's okay because I mean, when you get into the season, class schedules conflict. So basically, the white room is open all like at all times for those guys to come in and get a lift. But when you're in camp and when you're training, It just honestly, it just takes out time where you could either be doing something productive like recovery or film or just chilling rather than having to, you know, split off these weight groups and then do meetings. It it just takes time out, which if there's any practical facility upgrade, it's probably that one in the locker room.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. I was just like reminiscing or thinking back (laughs) when I uh, when I was at Vandy and one of the things that really bothered me when I was there is that we didn't even have a student athlete parking lot to park in. Like, I don't know if that's. <laughs> we probably, still don't
1: have that. <laughs> it's,
3: probably not like a, it's probably not like a huge deal or like someone, like stuff probably people think about, but like you got to imagine, like, okay, you're in an SEC school, right? You don't even have a place for your student athletes to park. Like, you don't even have a way of, like, how am I supposed to get to the facility? Man, you know, I got my just, car
1: towed it, after Georgia at three in the morning when I got back from the bus. Like, we don't even it, the like there's
3: not even <laughs> there's not even an athlete. There's not even like, hey, you got to be here at, you know, X, X time. Um, and yeah, you're allowed to have cars, but we don't have anywhere for you to park here at McGugan. And if you park in the parking lot at the medical center right there, if you park in the, the little lot over there, I don't even know what it's called. The bank lot. You get your ass towed or you get a ticket. Like wait,
1: how much how much were the how much were the parking passes per semester when you were there? Because I can tell you when I was there, they they moved it up to eight hundred a semester when I like they they upped it. Yes, I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. I just saw Chris's face. <laughs> but, so but nobody, like, but those nobody lots, buys those parks. Well, yeah, those. parking.
3: I mean, well, not only the parking pass, and and obviously when you buy the parking pass. You you only had access to three or four garages that aren't even close to either yeah, your dorm they're... or close to your classes or close to your to your dorm. So the parking situation there was just a nightmare. I don't know. You were talking about McGugan, and I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, the one thing that really used to bother me is that we didn't even have a parking lot for the student athletes. Like you had to park in the street and pray you didn't get a ticket, yep. or park in one of the or park in one of the Vanderbilt lots and pray you didn't, <laughs> get, tow- and pray you didn't get towed.
1: Yeah, Life. I might have a warrant out for how many tickets I got on three different
3: cars. Oh my but... <laughs> god, that's why, got, that's why everyone got those scooters because you just yeah. park them in the grass. Well,
1: they, dude, yeah. they they made they they started. So I don't know if you know this. I senior year, they came after the scooter gang. I mean, oh, you had man. to buy you had to buy a pass for the scooter, and if you didn't have one, they were leaving. They were like taping notes to the scooter seats, like, "Hey, we have the scooter on record. So if you don't get a pass, then we're gonna steal your scooter." <laughs> <laughs> so the scooter gang was uh, x nade. Which was oh it was kind gosh. of a Vanderbilt tradition <laughs> at that point, but yeah, Seriously, that's dude. that's dead too.
3: So yeah, I mean, I agree with Bruno. Though, like back to the original question, like I, I think the like immediate facility upgrades that need to take place is definitely the weight room upgrade. Everyone knows where you spend ninety nine percent of your time as a student athlete is with your strength coach and is in the weight room. You know, it's not with your position coaches, it's not with the head coach. Uh, a majority of your time is spent in the weight room, and I think that's the absolutely first thing that needs to be addressed. Because why? It's where you spend 90% of your time. Like We're not gonna invest in something that is gonna be used partial or, you know. So I think uh, if anyone with a brain can realize that, hey, you spend 90% of your time where? In the weight room with your strength coach. First thing that needs to be addressed.
0: Speaking of strength coach, position coaches and stuff like that, Chris, one of the things I wanted to ask you is how much of the current staff do you expect to be retained? Is are we going to fully clean house? Are we going to is there going to be are they going to leave some of the recruiting coordinators? I mean, does it like how much uh retention do you think there'll be from the current staff? How many new people do you think they'll be
2: bringing in in terms of position coaches, strength coaches, all that kind of stuff? That's impossible to answer until you know who the coach is. Um and look, most coaches they get carte blanche to bring their own staff, their own strength and conditioning guys. So you have some staff, office staff positions, I guess, inside the school. But usually the coach is the CEO of the program, and sometimes it's good to have some holdovers. I mean, Javon Hay is one that I would definitely be targeting. Now, Javon, here's the thing. Javon's only been a position coach for a year or two. Uh, now, he was helping out for a while on a volunteer basis. And I, I know Javon, I really, really love Javon, good dude. And I will give cr- credit, I think it was 24-7. There was a story that they wrote about the DT they got from Maryland. I think it was Surgic. It may have been another kid. But the thing that I'm sitting here wondering is they've got a pretty decent recruiting class, right? I'm like, how are they holding this together? They're 0-8. Uh, the roster is, is falling apart at the seams. Uh, you know, why would you want to walk into this? You don't know who your coach is. And in there, he said, Candace Lee has basically communicated to me that they want to keep Javon on as part of the staff, which good move. good you know, move. I, I don't know if that's a check your mouth is making uh, that you can't cash, I, and I don't mean that derogatorily. It just is, right, because you don't know. Unless you know who your next coach is, I don't know how you make that promise, but that's one place I look. I think Todd Vitch is pretty well liked. If you're Clark Lee coming in and need an offensive coordinator, you could do worse. I mean, you look at a lot of the defections on the team this year, Ever since the season started, a lot more have been on defense and offense. I don't know what that says, but the bottom line is the next coach is going to get the choice, and he should. But but maybe those are two names. Uh, Horton, too, another one, Tim Horton, the running backs coach, pretty well liked. Uh, But ultimately, we can sit here and guess, but there's just no way to know until we know who the coach is.
0: Yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, when when you were there, Ryan, you underwent a couple different coaching changes. How much staff turnover was there when you guys went uh, from Bobby Johnson to uh, your next coach? To uh, you know, uh, to you know, you 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 had three different coaching staffs while you were there. How much t- turnover was there for you from staff to staff? And then, how much did that affect sort of the way? that you guys train the way that you guys do things. Was it a complete halt, changeover when you go into Coach Franklin?
3: Yes, it absolutely was. It was definitely, um, from every aspect of it, right? Not only on the field, but in the classroom, in the building itself. I'd like Chris's kind of take on the CEO mentality. That was definitely lacking under the previous management before Coach Franklin got there. Now, I don't know if you guys all know the story about Bobby Johnson and then obviously him stepping down kind of during training camp, forcing the administration to kind of put forward um, Robbie Caldwell as interim head coach, taking care of his guys. You can't blame him for it. Obviously, Bobby Johnson is just a world-class guy. My mom uh, still gets pictures from, from Bobby's wife, like from like recruiting trips and seasons. Like Great family. Um, but... When Franklin came in, everything changed. And I think to answer your first question about the turnover and the coaching stats, when Robbie Caldwell got in, uh, the only new coach I believe he brought in was Herb Hand to replace the offensive line coach position, who was Robbie Caldwell's job or duties. Um, And Coach Hand was the only coach that had stayed when James Franklin came in. Now, I don't know if that's because... Maybe Coach Franklin was giving Herb an opportunity because he hadn't had much time there. Like, hey, you know, it's kind of it's kind of screwed up for a guy to only be here one year just to get the can because the rest of the staff wasn't cutting it. I think uh, for whatever reason that was, if that was the case or maybe Coach Franklin just really liked his coaching style, I am so thankful that it happened because Coach, Coach, Coach Hand, is a phenomenal coach. And I hope someday that he can either get back or get a head coaching position. That guy knows everyone. He's fantastic. But everyone got let go when Franklin came in. I don't think there was any other position coaches that got, uh, got an opportunity to stay other than Coach Hand. Um, so I know we talk about three different staffs, but it was really just kind of two within that time. But as I mentioned, uh, I really like Chris's take on the whole deal. one thing I really admire about Coach Franklin's coaching style was that CEO mentality. Right. Um, I mean, he knew what was going on in every single aspect of the program from the training room, from, from your, uh, tra- training, uh, what's it called? Uh, where you get study hall, excuse me, study hall, you know, yeah, gosh, the strength training, uh, rehab, uh, going in there and getting your study hall hours in like that dude was everywhere. And he had his foot in every single one of those, you know, sections of the program. And, uh, you know, I was hearing some groping from from the staff in those departments, right? Even those guys were having to make changes, right? Like you see you see a new head coach come in and you don't think it's going to have an effect on, let's just say, the training room, right? These guys have a method of doing things. Why would that change if the head coaches switch as well? Not according to James Franklin. When he came in there, even those guys had to make adjustments. Even they were being held to a higher standard and were like, you know, you could hear these guys groping a little bit. It's it's kind of funny. Like you could even hear some of like even even from the uh, from like the uh, the study hall room, like coaches breathing down their necks. And I just really really like that. You know, obviously the players are catching it, not just us, but everyone's catching it. And so I really like that kind of CEO mentality that he came in. Um, review all of the different sections of the program and what makes it function. Uh, you know, the students going to class really stepped up class checking. It was kind of a joke before then. He stepped up how we were held accountable from a, from a classroom perspective. Study hall hours got bumped up. You're uh, who are, like, I had Miss Elizabeth, like, uh, even from that perspective, like, you're going to come in three or four times a week and meet with your counselor. Like, you didn't have to use to do that, you know? You're going to come in and if you got anything wrong with it, you're going to have to rehab several times a day. It used to be, well, like if you could practice, you didn't have to necessarily come in at 6am for rehab. Like, no, that changed. Like if you got anything wrong with you that you reported it, your ass was coming in for, for, for rehab. Um, so, you know, the whole program flipped the flipped on the side of its head. And then we all know about the engagement with the rest of the uh, student body and the rest of the city, uh, which everyone seemed to, really love, you know, and that's him going to the frat, him going to the sorority houses and the frat houses and going, you know, throughout the city and making these appearances. We all kind of know that that side of the story. But uh, to answer your question, the turnover was very high. Only one coach got to stay at her pan. I think for whatever reason, how that worked out, I'm very, very happy that it did. Coach Ann and I will be great friends for the rest of my life. And uh, for as far as the, the program itself, it completely changed and it will completely change again. And and I'm sure Bruno can speak on the behalf of how things flipped when Mason got there. And I'm sure there was, there was aspects of the program that, uh, you know, weren't the same when I was there. So maybe Bruno can talk a little bit. One thing I know I did not like, and I still don't like was these early morning practices. Can you hear me?
0: Say it again. Yeah. One thing you didn't like.
3: One thing I don't like. One thing that Mason did is he he made the guys practice in the morning. And I'll tell you why I think that was that's the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> Not so only you, because you I want don't... you
1: want to go first, or you want me to explain? Because I, I love it. Just... So we're gonna clash heads on this. I love it. Oh, see, I think
3: it's the dumbest thing in the world um, because I know when I was a when I was a student. Okay, now, now I want to hear Bruno's take on this <laughs> because I'm interested to see why he loved it. The reason – I'll give you two – a couple quick examples of why I think it's the dumbest idea in the world. Look at your audience. You've got 18 to 22-year-old kids. You think these guys are in bed at 8 o'clock every night, like with their teeth brushed in bed with lights out? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no. I mean, like,
2: let's Bruno, be real Bruno, here. Bruno, like, well, was, Bruno's a choir boy. No, you <laughs> eight, eight and nine-year-olds doing. No. I'm
3: sorry, you broke it. What was that, Chris?
2: I was going to say, I know that six and nine-year-olds don't do that, so I'm guessing college kids will not either. When I heard about
3: this, you know, when he first got there, and that was like one of the first things he initially did was like, we're changing the schedule. Like, practice is going to be at, I don't know what time it was, six o'clock in the morning, Bruno. You know, you did it. But I think that right, was – was,
1: Yeah, practice was around eight or nine, and we ended around 11.
3: Okay. That's not Which as early as like I thought. Hit- what time did meetings start, though?
1: Oh, sick. We were, I was in the building every day at like four, four thirty, or five.
3: Yeah. See, I got, I got not, I got literally a hundred percent of my work done in college between the hours of 11 and like three o'clock.
1: Oh, me too. I would pull all nighters <laughs> and go practice all the time. Every, all <laughs> the
3: time. But I used to sit there and I think like, Man, I tell you, there's, one, there's one thing I really think these guys are messing up. I think there's I think they're really messing up having these morning practices. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, dude, in college I was running the streets till midnight, you know, later, <laughs> staying up till staying up till three o'clock, writing papers and stuff that were due the next day. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, these guys got to be exhausted. Like, could you, like, could you imagine? As a twenty-two year old or like eighteen yeah, year old it. every day, having to get up at four
1: thirty. <laughs> yeah, I did it, and it's at first it sucked, it's dumb. But it, I mean, all right. When I was a f- dude, and there was nobody that had more trouble. When I got out of high school, there was no one that had more trouble waking up early on his own power than I am. An extremely heavy sleeper. I mean, my freshman year, I had to been late to a lift or practice three to four times. It was bad, and they murdered me for it. Right rightfully so now i can now i can't like my body will naturally just and i get the sweats and i get i look around like i'm like i'm in jail or something you're having ptsd
3: you like wake up and you're like oh god am i late
1: yeah but it's not like the bad kind (laughs) i don't know i i I, honestly doesn't bother me anymore and like halfway through my career at vanderbilt i loved it because i mean you're up late anyway so all and basically it i just Got it out of the way. In my head, I was like, 11 o'clock, football's done. Like, the hard part is over. I can go to class, watch film on my laptop, listening to the guy talk, and chill. That's how I felt. Hit my study hall, do some work, take a nap, get to the meetings done at 530, and we were done. I mean, it was just – I loved knocking everything out early and that was just me and did i like it at first no but i mean eventually i adapted to it you either adapt or you, or you die so i adapted and there were times where i was like i mean i'd walk i'd walk in i slept in uh our new players lounge twice because that's how it is sometimes you know you're doing work and you're like if i'm gonna get any sleep i have to get which I, i'm pretty sure is illegal but i don't mind saying it so I would just take my laptop, go to the player's lounge at like one or one or midnight, whenever I was done, do whatever I was doing, write my paper. Then I'd get up, like I was done at like three or four. And then I would take my hour or two nap. And I remember one time Rex, one of the assistant strength coaches, walks in. He's just like, what's up, Bruno? I was just passed out on the couch. I was like, Oh, what's up? That means we're just go time, baby. I loved it. And then I just locked in for five hours and I was done throughout the day. I loved it.
3: That's sick. See, that doesn't sound healthy. That's not, he- like- that's not healthy.
1: That's the American yeah. way, bro. What do you mean? See, like I I'm was, just, I had that CEO <laughs> mindset in college. Y'all just don't understand.
3: Man, I don't know. I, I have a feeling. I have a feeling. me, a I, lot of other guys in the team that didn't have that same mindset. That trust me, I, I had.
1: It. Yeah, I have extreme insomnia now too. Like I hardly sleep anymore. I sleep like three hours a day. So don't worry, it's not a good. Thing. I wonder bro. why. I think- <laughs> yeah i know i was conditioned oh i felt like
3: you're, you're, you're was... growing you're growing you're building muscles man you're like pushing your body through like oh, the me i know worst thing. you need sleep right here. <laughs> you need sleep like you got to get at least six seven hours a night minimum i mean you're trying to shoot for eight
1: yeah when i was when i was playing you know, pro ball when uh, i was playing pro ball it wasn't a problem most of I,
3: was... My usual, I was asleep by 11 30 woke up at seven you know dude i just i don't know we actually Anyways, had one i just, we had, I just uh, that was one of the things i knew yeah my first my
1: first my first year we did have afternoon practices my my red shirting year and i sometimes i'd wake up i remember specifically my first class was like at 10 and that was the first thing we didn't have meetings beforehand because i think i was a red shirt guy and they didn't care so they were like "We don't." that's what so
3: i lived for bro yeah. i lived <laughs> for those days that i had class at nine or like 10 o'clock dude that was like such a treat.
1: Yeah, after that year it was gone. But dude, the the life was just such a grind anyways. Nothing surprised me anymore. I don't know. Maybe I am just totally conditioned. That's probably what it is. But eventually I, so. I just grew to it.
3: Yeah. I hear you. I hear you.
2: Hey, I had a funny story. Uh it Ryan, I'm trying to remember, did you play You played under Johnson, Caldwell and Franklin? Correct. So you missed out on Mason right
3: I did mm-hmm. okay yeah Franklin yeah. was there for another year after I was gone
2: well I'm sure you heard the stories uh but and Derek's a good guy but it just changed but I, I the great story and you may know this from being there Robbie is probably my favorite person I ever dealt with at Vanderbilt at any level I mean he's <laughs> easily top three and maybe number one and Robbie great guy um but this is just Robbie Caldwell in a nutshell and how that whole transition happened. What I understand was when they made the coaching change or when Bobby stepped down, caught every guard, I think you guys too. And so he does it, like you said, to get Robbie the job. Robbie is out raking the practice field in the middle of the day uh, in like his bike coaching shorts or whatever he wore in yeah. a T-shirt They literally, I think, brought Larry Leathers, the media relations guy at the time, out to him, gave him a shirt and said, hey, man, you got to get in here off the field and get inside. You're the new head coach and we got a press conference here in just a minute.
3: Uh, that, yeah, that's absolutely the type of guy that, that Robbie was and still is to this day. Good old Southern guy. I think when he was at the SEC media conference, he was talking about how he used to raise chickens or something like that back in, back when he was growing up. Absolutely. Phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Unfortunately, not that CEO that I think, uh, you know, that I think Vanderbilt deserved, but a hell of a, hell of a guy, right? Hell of a guy. He's very old school. I'm not sure how I'm not sure how he is coaching these days, what his like kind of mentality is, but his mentality when it was at Vanderbilt was very, very old school. And what I mean by that is he was just kind of a hand in the dirt, you know, beat the guy up in front of you. I don't really care how you get it done. Just go in there and make your and put your will on that guy. Versus when, when when Hand came in, it was completely different. Very technical, you know. He, you had rules and responsibilities on every single play, whether it was an outside zone, inside. Like, you, you had rules and assignments. When when Caldwell was there, it was kind of – it was very more lenient on how you got the job done, just kind of as long as you got the job done. But, man, and no one can ever say anything bad about Robbie Caldwell, man. He, he is a hell of, hell of a guy, man.
2: Well, and the best part of that story is Robbie didn't know – it had happened or it was happening. It caught him mm-hmm. completely by surprise. So everybody. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Taught everybody. I mean, I, I remember I was, I remember exactly where I was when I got that phone call. I was sitting at my, at one of our, uh, one of my teammates, Rob Lohr's house off campus. And I'm sitting there in the living room. like, Hey man, I just got a text. Like, I think coach Johnson just retired. And we looked at each other. was like, no man, it can't be like, we're about to like the seasons in like three weeks. Like, um, but yeah, sure enough, it, it happened, and um, we just did the best we could. I guess you could say that year we went, we went two and ten. We beat Ole Miss, and I forget who else we beat that year. But uh, not, not a good, not a good uh, head coaching the year there for for Robbie. But um, we still love him. I still think he's a phenomenal guy.
0: Yeah, I don't have much to add on the Robbie Caldwell era. That was, uh, I think, honestly, I don't. That was the year I was living in Australia personally, so I was just out of touch with college football in general. I was working on a vineyard, getting up at like four in the morning every day, just trying to chasing kangaroos off who were trying to eat the grapes like at dawn. So I had an RV or four wheeler, I should say that was going out every morning, chasing kangaroos off of chasing kangaroos off the vineyard and getting in a tractor for 10 hours. So. That was a, a different time in my life during the Robbie Caldwell era. Bobby Johnson, I remember one of the first fantasy football leagues I was ever in. It was called. It was called Bobby Johnson says no cursing.
3: Yes, that was one of his. That was one of his like rules: no no cursing, and all of what? his assistants no like had to come up with these like. Right. They, all these assistants had to come up with these like fancy terms in order to like uh express how they were feeling frapping was a big one that's a stupid uh rule. i don't like that rule at know, all. <laughs> <laughs> that was a thing that really was that, that really well, was well, a I'm thing when, a when, uh, when bobby was there it goes against everything i know and believe <laughs> yeah it uh yeah it was pretty it was pretty funny man just listening to some of the verbiage <laughs> out there on the field he tried to enforce it i mean I mean, I only had him for one year, but from what I remember, I think that was like something that he really strived to to do. <sighs> was Probably
2: yeah. didn't force that on message boards, and it doesn't work very well. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. The uh, what the Commodore War Room isn't. Uh, you're telling me isn't like a G-rated message board? I'm I'm shocked shocked to hear that. <laughs>
1: it is only the highest level of intellectual discourse going on in the commodore war room all right <laughs> that's where the country's top intellectuals gather to discourse about the vanderbilt football program could you imagine it's they're all 40 they're all like 30 40 they're all veteran bandy fans if that says anything yes so. it does it says a lot <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, I, I've spent enough time on college football message boards to know that that is clearly where the uh,
2: the elite of the elite in our society spend their time. <laughs> hey, I love it. I'm there every day. You would be surprised. You would be surprised at the, the people who are on the boards uh, and the roles they have and the money they make. And I'm just going, how do you have time to do it this? It is insane. Put oh, the it's crazy. <laughs> You, you think I'm joking, but I'm not. No, no
1: I totally believe you. After knowing I, when I the second I got out of football and I finally left that bubble and I could finally start talking to people, I felt normally. Um, yeah, the more, you know, I was just like, there's no way this guy. Um, it, that's just part of it, I guess. And I know some of those guys on, on our war room board. And I'm just like, wow. Um, hey, that's what the Internet's about. That's where you can be yourself, I guess, or post post what you really want to talk about
0: or just be a completely different version of yourself or just be someone else that you are not at all. Um, <laughs> I know that my uh, I, I've been known to troll a message board or two myself. So
1: I just do it on my real account. I love it. I love stirring. the. I think, Um. yeah, I was, Chris is like, Yeah. Hey, it's probably been a, well, on our last podcast we just recorded, Chris was like, you know, this has probably been the craziest like coaching search two weeks, dude. I love it. I love the mix. It's just fun. I don't know. That's the way I see it. I remember they're, they're uh, Chris. Yeah. Chris, I, I I don't know if I should like even mention this or not, but when you sent me that, so we did the podcast on when the Sarah Fuller news got announced, we did a podcast and it was really early in the whole deal. And uh Chris sent me a message about someone who was gonna write a story, like basically like not a good story about us. And I was like, I, I don't know. I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. Like that's kind of funny. I was I was really interested to see how it turned out. It eventually like didn't turn out the way I thought it would, but that's just the way I I don't know. I kind of like a, I kind of like that people are so invested and emotional about it. Now it can get crazy, yeah, like don't don't get too crazy, obviously. But as long as it's all jokes, I mean, it's, this is a bunch of 19 20 year old kids playing football. like it's fun. That, and that's the way I, that's the way I approach it.
2: Well Matt, I don't want to hijack your podcast, but you don't. You're, th- go, are, please you are, go ahead. There are times that people will post under aliases to say things that they wouldn't say under their name. No, I, I I swear to God, I've never done that. Everything that I post is under my name, so I don't have Same. this alter ego out there. But I will tell you, it's been done. Um, and the best story I ever heard was the publisher of a very large site, like we're talking probably five figures of paid subscribers, had a couple of those, and he, he would he would on slow days unleash one of them to <laughs> to stir up the board, and. Um, you know, you have to switch in and out of your screen names. And one day he forgot who he was at that moment <laughs> and Baritains. was asked, was asked a question is the guy who ran the site and answered it as one of his alter egos. And that day got interesting. So. That, wow. happened, that
0: happened to a politician in, I think Georgia recently, <laughs> Oh no, Pennsylvania,
2: Pennsylvania recently where
0: he, you know, this very white conservative uh, guy uh, has this account where he uh, uh, pretended to be a, a black Republican. <laughs> um, and he forgot to switch his he forgot to switch to his burner account, like right after he had lost his election. um, and that oh. was fun, or no, 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 he forgot to switch. He thought he was typing from his burner, but did it on his official account. So saying like as a black man, blah 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 blah, blah.
1: That's my favorite. Like, athletes are the worst at this as, as someone who and Ryan, I don't know, I don't know if you played during like the really booming social media, but athletes are the worst they're on social media all the time. I know those dudes have. Burner accounts. They're looking themselves up. They love it. They love that stuff. So athletes are the worst. It's interesting when politicians do it. I mean, you see athletes do it all the time on their Twitter. Kevin Durant, he was like the most, he was the most popular one. He like started the trend when he was like, KD can't win with Russ and OKC. Like he's, he started it. Everybody got the idea. I love it.
0: Listen, it's hard enough for me. I'm I I manage four Twitter accounts and three Instagram profiles. It's it's hard enough like doing that, and none of them are like troll accounts. Those are all just like straight like this is for the show. <laughs> this is like me actually who I am. Like I can't even imagine trying to have like burner troll accounts. Like that would just be way out of my intellectual capability or time management abilities. I should say also. But um, let's let's actually talk quickly about uh, about Sarah. She's going to kick this weekend. It looks like, I mean, if they I can mean, score, if they can, yeah, score. I don't know.
1: I, I, I don't like I haven't heard much, but like, I think that story's kind of died down. I haven't heard much about it. Um, if they throw her out there for an extra point and she misses, I think we all know all hell's going to break loose for her. For her sake. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't hope happen you, either. Yeah,
2: or, you, they, you, well, you might say it already has. Yeah, but.
1: I know. Well, it's it's still been remotely positive for her. So, the, but that's the thing. There's a there's like an arm. And I've, know, only seen, I've only seen positive. Yeah. I mean. Well, I've I've <laughs> seen I've seen I have seen some negative, but you have to dig for the negative, right? Like because yeah. I was I was very you interested do have in to story. Dig. I mean, for because sure. Because me me and Chris were like one of the first people to talk about this thing when it happened, and I I was just honest with it, right? And I, it's not like I was like, oh, I hate this move, but I was skeptical of it, right? I was I was asking we questions were too. It. Matt and I yeah. were as
3: well.
1: But yeah. but I, and then and then eventually, like throughout the week, asking questions was a very uh, not good thing to do. So I was glad to get my questions in early. But the thing the thing is now is like I think they have two kickers on the roster, right? So if you throw her out there, then it is kind of um, then you're saying she won the competition, and then it's going to put the other kickers on. Not that the whole team has put on blast. That whole thing was just um, I think there was a lack of foresight with it and. Because I mean, there was it, they knew it was going to be a big story. That's why they had the, she was there for two days. That's why they had the photo shoot, the post ready to go, the tweets. They knew it was going to be a big thing. Right, and it's hard to stop that big thing from rolling. It's all people are talking about, and at the same time, you're trying to tell your players, you know, focus, focus on the inside, focus on the inside. How can you do that when there's cameras everywhere? Right, that's a tough thing to do. So I was speaking from the perspective of a player with that whole thing. If she's still on the team, it's obvious. I heard she before before the game she was kicking three out of five in practice. Which I mean, if there's no other option, hey. That's three out of five. If you need to win the game by one, I'd rather do that than go for two, probably. But if they have kickers on the roster then and they're, they were recruited Vanderbilt to kick, then they should be kicking. If they throw her out there now, it's kind of, you know, I think we all know what that is.
2: Well, the depth chart this week is interesting because they listed as Pearson Cook and then Sarah Fuller and Wes Farley. And I'm thinking... Uh boy, we we've seen Sarah Fuller kick and if Wes Farley's not better than that, uh, we got a problem why is he yeah. on the team. <laughs> and then all of a sudden Riley Gay has disappeared. Um, I don't know if he's joined the witness protection program or what, and then we don't know where Javin Rice is. So it's been an interesting, um it's been an interesting few weeks.
3: Yeah. Can anyone can anyone kind of touch on why uh like what the what's the real reason i guess like what is the real reason that vanderbilt or mason or whoever made this move like let me why did they make this move
1: i will solely go on quote-unquote record for this all right i think people are gonna say it's a stunt and in some way it was but i think it was just a general lack of foresight i think the coaching staff genuinely thought this is the good idea bringing in she didn't practice on two they brought her in late into the week because she, she didn't practice on Tuesday. Right. Cause she said she was sore after the sec game. So she started practice on Wednesday and they were genuinely like, this is our best course of action. It, I can't go into their heads and see the back of their heads, but from what we know, it was just that it was just a total lack of foresight and how the story was going to affect, you know, this season. And because it's so it's and Ryan, maybe you can attest to this as a former athlete, or maybe you can just call me out on it, because it frustrated me watching all this stuff where it's like it was trying to it was something that was sold as a win. And it obviously was. But I don't want that to get mixed up with, oh, Vanderbilt is winning because we're not. We got smacked 41 to zero out there. I'm a former student athlete. Those guys are my friends. I have a lot of pride in the program and I want a respectable product out there because it's part of my identity now. It's who I am. And I gave blood, sweat, and tears to that place. So the whole time, and I think that, I think AD Lee's uh, tweet really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way when she was like, win or lose, you know, this is monumentous. It makes me upset, genuinely upset. And whether you say people can message me or call me or email me or see me, uh, my club's location is out in public, you can come tell me if, me being upset is wrong or whatever, but as a former guy, it, it it just, the whole thing got carried away as a former player. It just made me upset because the world was watching us just get smacked and the pathetic state. Our program was in, and it was just two years ago. We were going to a bowl game and things were looking like they were on the rise. Bruno, do you,
3: do you think the coaches thought, do you think they thought it was going to be a big a story as it was? That's an, I mean, like I I I wish I, like, I know you go ahead.
1: I wish I could go I wish I wish I could go and ask them without them all point like probably <laughs> hating my guts at this point but um I don't know they if they all all I'll say is if they didn't know it was going to be an absolutely massive story they were foolish so it's either it's either ignorance or they just genuinely thought like this is the way uh, so whichever pick, pick your poison on it whichever one
2: well, that's the only I'll- two options I'll be the bad guy for you here. They had to know because it leaks out. And what are they doing on Thursday? They're having a photo shoot with her. Mm-hmm. They're sending yeah. out stuff. They are prepping this. They are just getting it out there to be ready. Um. So you have that, okay? And then they go down there. And I was not there, but I had somebody in the press box uh, who works uh, for another outlet and was there watching for me. And what they did is they planted her on the 10-yard line, and they were letting her kick 20-yard field goals and extra points, and they were barely going over. You can see the videos out there. And so I asked my sources, said, wait a minute, is she taking kickoffs? No. And I kept asking, is she taking kickoffs? No. Now, look, we've all seen hundreds of football games. You guys have participated. Have you guys ever been to a game where your kickoff person does not take kickoff reps?
1: No. That's the first that's the first thing that they practice. They go onto the field earlier than anybody and they practice kickoff. That's the first thing on the practice schedule. And I told you, Chris, I was like she's kicking off. I know she's kicking off. And you were like she's not practicing it. I was like, "Okay, then they're going to do something else for kickoffs." Like, that's fine. Anybody can toe a ball straight down the line to the end zone. Go try it. It's really not that hard. <laughs> but um but I mean, I guess they were just they just trusted in her ability to not even practice it and go and do it, which I mean, she got to the 35, which is 10 yards worse than the 25, I guess.
2: Well, and, and the other thing is they didn't have anybody else warming up. Yeah. I've never seen a team warm up one kicker. I mean, okay, Sarah Fuller's your plan, right? But what happens if she sprains her ankle going into the locker room? Then what do you do? So there's just things about it. That and that just happens. like That yeah. happens. It happens on my pro team. We were warming
1: up and the guy like breaks his ankle. Like like I, when I say warming up, two hours before the game, he's out there just moving around and like just freak accident breaks his ankle. So that's that's a definitely a valid question. I'm sure they had an emergency plan. Again, if they didn't, an emergency emergency plan, if they didn't, you know, obviously that speaks to the staff. The thing that I said at the very beginning of the whole Sarah thing is the fact that it got to this point is it says a lot about where the program was at, like, like just having to go recruit someone even outside of the team because by that t- our roster was already decimated. This was before the, this was before like the seven or eight quit that four it, It's Georgia so,
3: game. it's so wild, Bruno. I that's what I, I think that's something I continue to bring up week in and week out. Obviously, I'm very optimistic about the future. I'm really excited, but one mm-hmm. thing I just like, have a really hard time of letting go is how the heck. Did we get to this point? Yeah. You know, absolutely. Like I wanna have, I wanna have all of this faith in Candace. I really do. We actually we actually shared some text messages the other day. I felt really positive about our conversation. I, I, I really, really like Candace, but I just don't understand how we got to this point. And that is what's really, really frustrating for me. On top of the, this Sarah Fuller deal. I'm trying to say this. I'm trying to say this correctly. Like, politely. <laughs> Go for that it. That is the most – it really is the most wild thing I have ever heard of. It's so crazy. Like, when you start really breaking it down and thinking about, like, Chris's points, the locker room speech leading up before the game. Oh, my God. Like, the attention that it was drawing, <laughs> the fact they knew it was going to draw attention. They're 0-8. Why now? Why her? Why this whole thing? It's just it's- – crazy. So you ask yourself, Bruno, your point was like, okay, they had to have you known. So they're they just this ignorant or they just didn't care. How did we get to this point to where like you mentioned, Bruno, the kicker from another completely different sport, you know, who cares if it's a girl, just a complete different sport in general. How did we get to this point? That is what I still cannot wrap my mind around. I was from day one making this, like Chris said, from day one. If anyone follows me on Twitter, I have been all over Mason's ass from, from day one. I yeah. came in there and was shadowing the the uh, the offensive line coach when Bruno was there. And I go, these guys don't have a clue. These guys are so far from what you guys are supposed to be learning in here. Like I was meeting with Bruno, meeting yeah, with some of the, is the true. older guys. I like remember that. Say, like the from man, Like fromades and Jelks and all those guys and i'm like these guys don't have a clue man like this is so (laughs) wrong and from that day forward i was like man i i really don't know man if this is the type of like this is the type of like uh you know leadership that you guys have in, in this program man i'm a little concerned and then it just got worse and worse and then they brought in the next Offensive line coach. And I was sitting in there and I was watching these meetings. And no offense, I'm not taking shots at these guys, but like some of this stuff was so wrong. I was like, was dumbfounded by some of these things. Like, uh, I don't know. And that's when I really started losing. Like, that's how I lost my initial faith. And so I've been on his ass for years about how do we get to this point? Like, after year three, I was like, there's no way we're going to have year four. And after year four, I was like, there's no way we're going to have year five. And then no way we're going to have year six. You know, so I don't know. I just am so, I think this is going to be a big, big, big move for Candace. If this one doesn't, if it doesn't have a, you know, a good outcome, I I really worry that this, uh, this may not be, may not be it for her. I don't know. We're going to see. I keep trying to give her the benefit now. I love Candace. She's like I say, great conversation, but this whole thing with, this whole thing with Sarah, us, literally not even having enough guys to field a program like like how do we get here guys like how do we get from a team you know even after i left how do we get to a team that had more wins in vanderbilt history to being an absolute show of a program
1: and this is why this is why I respect Chris a lot because Chris is the only person. This is why I agreed to work with him too because he's the only real person that wants the answers to these questions. Most people hop on the Vandy beat and they don't care. They you know, it's like, oh, Vandy changed the head coach. Oh, Sarah Fuller story. That's what they mention, but they don't mention like, hey there's 40 guys that have quit since in, in the year, not opt out. Like there was a few opt outs, but just straight up transferring or quit. Half our roster is decimated. How does that happen? Who's going to like, does anyone care? Is anyone going to find the answer? Chris is the guy that goes out and tries to find those answers. And without, without that guy, it can go unchecked. And it's basically gone unchecked up to this point. Now we have guys, there's, there's running a program and there's not doing well. And there's running it into the ground. Right. How do you mm-hmm. practice with
3: 45
1: people, Ryan? How do you do it? I couldn't um, – we had to practice like 70 or 80. I would get pissed
3: if I had to go on <laughs> – Yes, I that, would get they're, pissed they're if I had to go and do scout team that week. Like if I like – You're a, man, a starter short, and
1: I, you do scout team. You're a starter and yes. then you're like, all right, time for scout team. Like flip it.
2: Well, Bro, and yeah, let me – Go
3: ahead.
2: Yo, well, I'm sorry, Ryan. Let me let you – you finish that? I have something to, to say here, I think. No, no, way. no. I
3: was just, uh, I was just, you know, agreeing with the point that Bruno was making. Like, could you imagine being a guy who's got to go out there and do 60 reps on Saturday and you're getting 200 reps during the week. Cause you don't even have a scout team guy. Like, how are we supposed to be fresh? How are we supposed to be competitive? What's the SEC? This is the dumbest. Sorry. This is the <laughs> stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Like how did we get to this point, man? This is like high school level stuff. We're supposed to be in the SEC this is a joke.
2: Well, and I'm fully aware that I'm, I'm that guy on the beat right now. Um, you know, and I'll just leave it at that. If you followed <laughs> my stuff, you know. And, and by the way, I keep most I'm of my waiting, opinions man. to my podcast and to our board. I'm not out there on Twitter trying to get attention. I'm just trying to do a job. And none of us are ever right all the time, right? I've made mistakes. Um, you know, but, but I think I'm generally proud of the work I do. And I think it generally holds up. Well, let's go back to the Missouri game, guys. I'm covering that from Nashville. And we have been the ones kind of sounding the alarm all week saying, hey, this kicking situation isn't right. Uh, and you can go back and hear the podcast, and we called it two weeks ahead of time. But so post games this year are all on Zoom, right? And so I always get a link to the press conference ahead of time. Well, I'm checking my inbox. That morning, they usually send it out three hours ahead of time. I don't have an invite. So I'm asking around to my media friends, did they send out a Zoom link? Yep. Okay. You got one. You got one. Can somebody send me the Zoom link? Somebody sends me the Zoom link. And so I, I get in the press conference anyway. I might've gotten in a minute late, but they had this virtual hand raise feature. And I have my hand up the whole time. Hey, I got a question didn't call on me, and they knew I could ask the question that would blow the story up in front of what was now a national media audience. So they didn't want that. Um, and so so it went. Uh, you, know, you know, usually, look, they will, on the road, make accommodations, say, hey, we got to get out here and get got to get the bus home. So what I was told was Coach Mason didn't have time for your question, which I know is baloney, but then they bring out Mike Wright. They bring out the backup quarterback. Do you ever see that at a press conference? No. And then they bring out Sarah Fuller. And I'm guessing between those two, it lasted another 40 minutes. So you got kids who are wanting to get home and everything, and they're holding this up to prop up this whole thing. And at this point, I'm, I'm not asking questions. I don't want to put kids in a bad spot, right? I mean, fine. You, you've done what you've done. The coach has made this mess. I, it's not your responsibility to answer for it. But that's the way it goes. Um, And as I'm sitting here, I literally got a text saying, you don't have a credential this week, uh, which is now three times in five games, and I'm the longest tenured guy on the beat. And so that's what happens. You know, They just make it to where if you were that guy. Silence
3: you, man. Yeah, they'll they'll
2: silence you, and and they'll make it as miserable on you as you can. And and look, I'm not an antagonist. I'm not out to just burn it all down. But, Ron, I respect you guys. I respect Bruno. I never played ball. The stories that you guys tell and what you have went through are incredible. I mean, and I know it's hard, but I'm listening to you guys talk and Bruno talk about getting, I'm like, that's harder than I even knew. And I think that your role in the media is to tell a story, right? And, and not to jump on a train. But sitting here knowing what you guys put in and knowing that if somebody like me knows what they know and they don't stand up for you, then nobody will. But it's hard for people to stand up as somebody said to me now you know what the kids go through and anybody tries to stand up to this. And I think Vanderbilt's biggest friend could be transparency, but they don't want it. And now that the school controls media relations, uh, the school thinks its job is to make everybody's job who answers, you know, who asked the difficult questions really miserable. And then it's to go hand Sarah Fuller to the people who will tell a favorable story and put them in the New York Times. And I'm sorry, but that's not media relations. But that's what it's turned into, and that's one of their issues.
3: That's a big issue. <clears throat> big issue for uh, for not only the student athletes, the fans. Obviously, this transitions into the rest of society, you know, the media that we – you know, when you turn on your television these days and you see a CNN or Fox News, man, there's just – it uh, – they, they really try to do their best to kind of get a hold of the message that they're trying to put out there for the rest of everybody to see, man. And what I like about you too, Chris, is that you tell it like it is, you tell what actually happened and not what people are trying to hear or some sort of message that they're trying to force on the rest of the population, man. It's very, very dangerous when you start playing, you know, trying to control the narrative. We're seeing that all over the country. It's very, very scary. It really is. And uh, it's, it could be, it could ruin uh, you know, the the name of Vanderbilt, right? When you start trying to portray a narrative on people and try to force people's ideas and beliefs and however that might be, you know, obviously, we're just talking about football here, but uh, it, it can be very dangerous, man, and it's just uh, this is a game that we all love and wa- and love watching and we obviously are all trying to be a part of it even the guys who are alumni who are now gone <clears throat> we're always going to want to be part of the game i don't think what you know we're always going to miss that aspect of it so um, it is it is a shame to see that you know happen to you to happen to you chris you know for you to ask these really difficult questions and for you to actually just you know report The media, report the news, what's going on with the program, only for you to, you know, to be punished because of other people's actions, man. That's just uh that's really frustrating to hear. And uh I'm really sorry for that. And I hope anyone listening, you know, can stand up for that for that type of uh for that type of behavior.
1: I'm just saying, I don't wanna I, I know this is just a I don't know if it's a moot point or what, but when when there's a situation and people are like people are like, oh, what's it like in the locker room? Well, when the only people who are talking to the media two to three and the they're the only options are Sarah Fuller in the backup quarterback three times in a row. Just know nobody wants, nobody's going to, nobody wants to talk. Right. It's so, it's so plain out there. Like if if we're not going to, if you can't, if we're going to get criticized for telling you how it is, then use your brain and look at, look at the patterns. That's, that's where the program's at right now. And Ryan, I'm, I'm sorry, but these guys think this is all normal. Those 40-something guys in that locker room, they're going to think that whole st- stunt, the speech stuff, that's normal. And I'm going to be honest, Ryan. When people ask me when I go on the radio or I go on record and they're like, what would you have done? That wouldn't have happened. That that would not have happened if I was there. And that's just how I you don't have to. You don't have to say what you would do. But personally, if you're on the team for two days and you're going to try and tell me after all the work I have put in for my whole career, you know. That cheerleading is going to win the game. That I mean, I don't care what flip, narrative. Flip the switch, care. man.
3: Flip the switch. Yeah. Ask. Imagine if you got asked to come be on the women's soccer team and you stepped up at halftime and gave a freaking I would have never, I would have
1: never had, the audacity to do something like that. That's their team, and they developed that culture. And I was asked to come fill a role, and I'll fill that role, and I'll do my best. But um, I mean, it was a blatant, and it was just it was a blatant slap in the face. And then when she went out. I know the coaches got upset because when you talk to the media, our message is controlled. When Chris used to ask me questions back in the day, I'd give him the runaround sometimes too. I'd give them the generic answers because that's what we're supposed to do. And that's what we're trained to do. Right. So, oh, yeah. but when Sarah was out, they just, they didn't, I guess they never had that talk with Sarah. <laughs> <because> miss that. <laughs> they, they missed that talk with Sarah. Cause she goes out there they, and uh... she tells them about the halftime speech, which, puts the whole team on blast not only her the coaches then she goes out there and she says yeah the coaches came up to me and said I've been waiting to say that for a long time like who- <laughs> It makes the coaches look so bad. Like that makes everybody look so bad. Like why? Because then I'm like, why don't the coaches say it? They're, that's so like that's that, like a that, rookie. That's it, like
3: a freshman's first a, interview. That, yes, it's like it
1: a total dud from the rules of the <laughs> locker room and me. Because I talked to the media a lot. When my senior year, I was thrown out there once every three or four weeks, whatever. My junior year too, I was thrown out there, and she broke every rule that we have and i mean it was a national story and they want to hear from her which when you do when when that's the deal you put out there that's the cost you pay right so it was the whole thing and i don't speak publicly on it too much because to me it's not that big of a story i mean the story for me was i was trying to write a story on how we got smacked 41 to 0 and how we could improve and what to do that's my job and that's the story that interests me but um That was a tough – that was an interesting week. Yeah. That was a fun week. Bruno, I'm
2: going to – I'm going to have to say it's a national story when you do something so out of the box that you're so little prepared for and the team has 400 yards of total offense four weeks in a row and then they go to a buck 95 and get shut out. Oh, by the way, Arkansas gets, what, 48-49 on Missouri the next week. Yeah, When you mess with the integrity of the game, I think people are soft-pedaling it. When you mess with the integrity of the game, you start to lose your team. And now, look, they're are 43, 45 scholarship players, depending on who you talk to. I mean, you th- this all started. I was at the Florida game, guys. I'm counting bodies from the press box. I counted, mm. I believe, 78 on the field. Oh,
1: my gosh.
2: Now, I don't know. Uh, 43 or 45 is the number I've got on scholarships. Now, I don't know how many walk-ons they've got left, but this all started with that. Um, And and I'm not saying it's because the team was mad Sarah Fuller kicked or it's anything against her, but when, when you do not make the efforts to be competitive, I think that if the players feel the coaches are mailing in, I have to think that happened. And again, let's check the scoreboard since then. You got a team that got spanked in Columbia and then couldn't even feel the team the next week because so many guys were gone. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm crazy, but I don't see that as coincidental.
1: I always say there are no such thing as coincidences. It's just not, it's not. And is that the only reason the guys, the guy, I'm going to say, the guy stand up and go because of Sarah Fuller, I quit the football team. No, it's because there's, I mean, let's think 30 or 30. No one blames Sarah
3: for this. No No. one blames Sarah for this. I don't blame Sarah for
1: this. I don't blame Sarah for this. It's,
3: It's the leadership in that, it's the leadership in that locker room and the leadership on that coaching staff, hands down, it is obviously clearly not there. Clearly, like you said, when they start messing with the integrity of the game, you are going to lose everyone, right? Um, no, it, no one blames her. It is 100% falling on the shoulders of Mason. He is the leader of that program, he is the CEO, man. You cannot commit that program to the ground. And I'm never going to forgive him for it. <laughs>
1: And that's your right. Hey, I mean, Ryan, like, I don't know if you talk to a lot of the Franklin guys, which I'm sure you do. And that's something I'm going to talk to. I have Townsend. a great,
3: great, yeah. great relationship with all of those guys.
1: Yeah. And that's something I'm I'm going to talk with Joe Townsend, this little round table thing here in the weekend. But uh, he, he was, he was a senior for that transition. And those Franklin guys, when you say everything changed during your Johnson to Franklin years, everything changed from the Franklin to Mason years, and those Franklin guys saw it from a mile away, and half of them quit right there too. I mean, as we, as we've already dis- dissected in this podcast, I am an indoctr- I am an indoctrinated soldier, so I was able to go along with it. And most of his guys were able to go along with it, but after those four years, I think it was just hard to redo that to a group, and most of those guys were just like, "I'm out," and that's that's part that's part of the reason. I mean, the if if the culture's there. Forty-some people don't quit your team. That's all I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, like Ryan and I've been talking about, like, why does Vanderbilt have basically more opt-outs and quits than the rest of the SEC combined? You know, it's it's not just COVID, and it's not just because it's a, no. it's not just because it's an it's more of an academic institution. There is a larger problem that underlies the entirety of it, and it's going to take a complete culture change in order to restore the promise of the franklin era and the potential of Mm -hmm. vanderbilt football as a program so i think on that we're gonna have to wrap up for the show guys uh chris i know you've got a i know you've got to run uh ryan has a a new golf cart he's got to take care of (laughs) um and uh bruno you you probably got some other judokas you gotta throw into a mat so yes sir Uh, all right um well i want to thank you guys all for uh participating here tonight this was a lot of fun uh i th- heard some good stories uh got a little bit off of our chests uh i'm very in <laughs> very interested to see who does end up being the next head coach whether it is clark lee which feels like he's the leader in the clubhouse right now i don't know we'll see um but i, Matt,
3: I don't think there's any way anyone knows who the hell's got a shot <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if, I, I'm telling you, I would not be surprised if you get another James Franklin who like who who like you know like obviously we've got guys who we have we have at the top of our leaderboard, but uh, and I don't mean to diss Franklin like that, but don't be surprised if you if, if you see a name that come across that, that board, you're just like, huh? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him, man. I I mean obviously look at look at uh, look at the past history, man. So we'll see.
0: We <laughs> will. Well, well uh, you got. You guys can all check out Chris and Bruno over at VandySports.com. dot um, If you're not a member, sign up now. And uh, until next time, guys, anchor down. Anchor
3: down. Thank you for listening to Believe.